Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. Hello. Um, I'm going to move this because I've uh, prepared it on a PowerPoint, which I need to see as well. Um, Otherwise, I'll have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, Can I just say thank you to you guys for the welcome that we've had um, since we've been here. Um, It's been lovely to be part of this this church, and we're looking forward to being here for many, many years, I hope. Um, But we will see. Um, The jury's out. I'm joking. Okay, today I'm talking about Ephesus and love. Okay, there are three parts in the Bible that around Ephesians, the Ephesians are the people, Ephesus is the place. Um, there's part in Revelation, um, there's part in Acts, and there is the book of Ephesians. Um, we're going to sort of dabble in all three at some point. If anyone doesn't know, Ephesus was in, actually, it was in Greece, and now it's in Turkey, um, as seems to happen. And they are, that is where it was exactly. If anyone is really like into maps, I like maps, so you might want to know that. Um, but it was a port city, because there's a lot of trade coming in from the Mediterranean. Um, but more than that, the capital of trade for um, Asia in New Testament times. Um, it was a very, very busy pa- place um, to be indeed. Um, there was also, goddess Artemis was a huge thing, and the temple of Artemis is like one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Um, so there was l- loads and loads of trade, and because it was this port, this port city, this capital of trade, it meant that the community was very diverse. There were lots of people coming in, going out. Um, you didn't always know um, the community that was there completely. And on top of that, to add another thing in, it was a city of refuge for criminals. So if you're a criminal, you could actually go there and you wouldn't be convicted. You'd just be able to hide there, um, which is absolutely crazy. So you can imagine, like, this is just like a nuts place to live at that time. Um, you've got criminals going along with a whole diverse community. And most communities, you know, would be very sort of like stayed there their entire lives together in that place. Um, When we read Ephesians, we need to understand a bit of that context. We need to understand that those things are around these things. And when Paul says at the beginning, well, in in this letter, as a prisoner for the Lord, I feel like he's kind of appealing to the the, the thieves out there. You know, I'm a prisoner as well. Paul's like a hardened criminal. Um, But we, we understand that he's writing this to the people there. Okay, not necessarily to us right now. So he's not trying to relate to us in that way but he's writing to the people there and he says as a prisoner for the lord i urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all as I was reading this, the line, bearing with, one love, sorry, bearing with one another in love, really struck me. Because it seems like a bit of an oxymoron in today's society, that phrase, to bear with someone in love. Because if you go to the definition in the, in the dictionary, it says, an intense feeling of deep affection. So if it's just an affection, something that you feel, then why would you bear with someone? Surely if you love them and you're not feeling it anymore, then you are just to get rid of it. But let's just explore this for a moment, this idea of love being a feeling. If, if you read the dictionary, there are four definitions, one to do with tennis, but the other three all talk about that, <laughs> that feeling. It's all about a feeling or an emotion that we have 
um, love. Is that it? Is that really all that love is? I think every person you meet would go, that's not a proper definition. That really doesn't do it justice in any way. But how does it play out in society today? Because I do think there is some truth that we are seeing in our world around us as this idea, if you like, starts to take more prevalence. Love is instant. Um, our society loves instant. We have TV, don't we? Like you can, uh, it's so weird. Like back in the day when you just had, I, I know for some four channels was a lot, but four channels and you had to wait for this thing on then. But our whole society is built around instant. Like if, you know, there's nothing worse than you're like starving hungry and then you're like, oh, I've got to spend half an hour cooking. I mean, that's just inconvenient. I want it right now. I'm hungry. So I just resort to toast. Um, we have this whole world around us where it's instant and love has become part of this instant culture that we want this feeling and we want it now and I don't want to wait for it. I don't want to pursue something. I don't have to wrestle with it. Love is something I should have right here, right now in this moment. And more than that, love doesn't really require a commitment. If your feelings aren't there, if you're not feeling this, then why stay committed to it? Just let it go. Like, um, I think we, we see this actually working out a lot in our society and with marriages and things like that, the breakdown of marriage in our society, you see that people are starting to say, well, actually, I, I don't love it. I don't feel this anymore. I'm not trying to belittle those situations. They're very complex and difficult at times, but there, are, there is a sense that actually love is something that is not a commitment. It's just kind of like a feeling that we have inside. And love is self-centered. Love is about what I get out of it. What am I going to receive from this transaction? What am I going to get from this relationship with that person? Now, I'm not going to... Uh, I'm not going to say too much, but I actually, for my first video ever in Kings, I've actually picked a Jewish man to come and speak to us. So um, this guy's called Albert Twersky, um, and he's a rabbi. So we're just going to listen to him for one minute, if you may. Got sound on that? Oh, no. Lost everything. that happens okay we'll come oh here we go let's hope this works much of what is called love is fish love. Right? And external love is not what I'm 
Okay. I am... Um, I, I love eating fish is now my line that I will use rather than I love fish themselves because um, I do like eating fish. Um, but the point there is really quite clear, isn't it? And it's a really well put by that guy that um, this idea of fish love is this sort of what do I get out of it world, whereas actually true love is something very different. If we go to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5 to 7, it says, Love is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And this like, flies in the face of that definition that we find in the dictionary. Um, love is not self-seeking. It, it prefers others. God prefers us. That's what love, that not self-seeking thing means. It prefers, how crazy, when you get your head around that for a second, that God prefers us. That's why he sent his son to die. He prefers us. It's nuts. That's what love truly is. Imagine if we lived in a world where we preferred one another all the time and said, this is the way I operate. I love you and I prefer you. It keeps no records of wrong. It's forgiving. Forgiveness, it seems on the surface level with forgiveness that you gain nothing and you help someone else out. I think that um, forgiveness is very good for ourselves as well. But when we forgive, if you like, we do something for someone else. We, we, we keep that no record of wrong and we allow them off the hook. We feel like we have a right to punish them because they've done something against us, but we take that away. Um, and that's what Christ for us looks like, isn't it? When he died on the cross and he took our sin away. It believes the best. I think that God believes the best in you and hopes and trusts in you as we hope and trust in him. And our hope and trust in him is much more reliable, I think, because we can trust and know that we have an amazing God that can do all things. Um, and lastly, it always perseveres. This level of commitment that love is not just this thing that goes in and out when we feel something. Love is a commitment. It's a, it's a desire to, to feel, fulfill something through and follow it through. Love is both this feeling, but it's also a choice. It's a choice to say, I can tell you that having a little baby in the night, it's a choice at times to get up and care and, and love. You know, that is part of what it means to be committed and to be loving. So, having said all of that... Um, we're going to move on to the next section. And to open this, I'm going to start with one of my favourite Christmas films. Um, just a little clip from that. Um, and some of you may not call this a Christmas film, but I do. Um, it's not Die Hard, if anyone's worried. Um, this is um, it's a scene from Home Alone 2. And, uh, and uh, what has just happened is one guy's got a load of um, cement in his face and the other guy's been involved in a small domestic explosion. And we'll, we'll pick it up from there.
Okay. Um, so that clip there, um, it's just that thing of foundations. Like, it's funny about foundations, isn't it? How um, even a little child understands foundations. They understand the principle that you need foundations, otherwise it's going to collapse. Um, I love that. I just love that film. So, you, yeah, maybe watch it. Um, I recommend it. It's interesting in our society today how foundations are something we just seem to not think about. Or outside of this environment, I, you know, if I go into my football team or whatever, my schoolmates, these basic questions, how did we get here? Then you'll never think about that anymore. Like, how did this person arrive here? And I'm not going to go into a debate over creation or evolution and all of that sort of stuff. But the basic question of how did we get here? And if you, even if you believe in, in, in evolution... Um, there are lots of issues with it as a theory, and it is a theory still. And so there are these questions you've got to ask, like our foundation. How, do you, how are you in this room today and, and conscious? Why are we here? We all have this sense of like trying to find something that means something. That, of what in my life that will, it, will I have purpose doing? And why are we here? And it's almost like in our society, these questions are just not being asked. People are like, well, it doesn't really matter so much. Um, why does being happy even matter? If you and I are just molecules that have come together and happen to be this person that thinks something, why does that even matter that we're happy? We all want to pursue being happy, but why, why does that matter? Because if we are just molecules, then it, it doesn't really matter. We live aware of an instant... Well, sorry, we live aware of the instant, obsessed with entertainment and searching for fulfilment. Today in our society, it is all about looking towards what I can get, what I can receive, that gratification, those sorts of things, which means that we no longer really pursue the foundations in our lives. Like, what are the, the things that I'm going to stand on and I'm going to have a firm ground with? Matthew seven twenty four, um, Jesus says that thing about, um, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then when the winds and the storms come, it stands firm. But when you build it on sand, then the sand will just erode and the, the house will collapse. It's a very, very clear illustration about foundations and how important they are. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11 says, For no one can lay a foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Jesus Christ. I love this because it almost says, like, there is no other foundation. You can try putting it on other foundations, but none of them are going to work. Jesus is the only foundation that will truly bring satisfaction. 1 John 4 verse 8 to 10 says, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There are three, verses, three little bits that I want to pull out here about foundations, about a rock, about laying a foundation and that God is love. The foundation that God gives us, the foundation that he wants us to build on is his love for us. That is the very starting block of a Christian walk with Jesus. And not just the starting block at the beginning. It's not like you can build an extension and then move off to something else. This, this, this ground rock has to stay. It's a cornerstone. Ephesians 2 verse 19 to 22 talks about how Christ is a cornerstone and the cornerstone was the first stone laid in the foundations it's like the the one that everything else relies on we sang the song about Christ alone cornerstone and it's it's that line of we rely on this one thing to hold everything up and if it's not there the whole thing's going to crumble the whole thing's going to fall apart 
I think that we all pursue three things. As humans, we actually have this inbuilt desire after three things. The first is purpose. What does my life mean? I think we have this thing in this world like um, with people like, you know, this person we remembered forever for what they've done. I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. Um, and, you know, like Ronaldo scoring this many goals. No, I don't, I don't think they're going to care in 150 years who Ronaldo is. Um, we have this sense of I want to leave a legacy. I want to be remembered forever. There's that side of us that's inbuilt in all of us, I think. We have this desire. I want to mean something. I want my life to mean something to the people around me. Value, what am I worth? I mean, when you look at the cosmetics and clothing industries and that sense of trying to build a sense of worth in our lives, this is one of the most like, essential questions of what are you worth? Are you worth anyone's time? Are you worth anyone's love? Are you worth anyone's care? And so our society, we, we maybe like put on the right clothes or, or try and look the right way or you know, go to the gym or whatever it is we might do. So we can be in the right way and then we think, yes, I'm worth something and people will like me and love me for that. Uh, it's like a central question to us. And peace, how can I be fulfilled? Like, how can I be fulfilled in my life? I, I think every one of us wants that sense. It's like inbuilt in us. Like, I want to be happy. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I'm not saying if you become a Christian, you don't have to be happy. Of course, we all want to feel happy. Um, and there's this sense that how can I be fulfilled? The single best foundation, the rock that cannot be moved, is God's love for us. I, I honestly, I would challenge any person in this room to ask anyone you know or to come to me with a better foundation for filling those three criteria. There is nothing that comes close to filling that, not just for one day, but for the entire lifespan of all humans and all history and all, all the days of our lives. Jesus is that rock that can provide us purpose. What does my life mean? My life means that I join in this eternal story with God. I join in with his eternal plan and I, and I can see other people joining in with that plan. It's an, it's an amazing thing. What am I worth? Oh, what am I worth? God chose to send his one and only son to die because he loves you and me. That's how much you're worth. Nothing else can give you. And the creator of all, all creation wants to give you time because he loves you. That's just insane. Like, you are worth so much. There is nothing in the world that can tell you you're worth more than that. Peace, how can I be fulfilled? Um, sorry. I think. John 10.10. 10. The devil comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give life, to bring life in all its fullness. There is no place that provides a peace that Jesus can bring in your life as a rock and as a foundation in his love. There is nothing that can come close. And that's something that you have to experience as you make that choice, as you live that life. But being fulfilled is about that sense of wanting to be happy, wanting to be joyful, wanting to have those things. And um, those things, I think, we find in Jesus as we live for him. The fullness of life, that fullness that everyone's seeking and, and chasing after and throwing their lives into in this world, we find it in Jesus. Now, if we read... Revelation 2, verse 1 to 5, it says this. And this is what was written to the Ephesians um, in a letter. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships, my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. 
you have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do not things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So if anyone's wondering what the lampstands are, the, le- the seven lampstands, if you like, the golden lampstands, are, if you like, a recognition that these are churches of Christ. These are the churches of Christ that are standing in Asia. And so the, this church here, at this point, he is saying to them that you have forsaken the love you had at first. And if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So, I mean, if you got this in a letter, you would be pretty upset, I think, because of what it's accusing. But it's a really serious, like, question for us who are following Jesus. Have we removed that foundation at any point? And as I said, built an extension and tried to lay it on something else. Because that foundation is the only place in which Christ operates and Christ will give us that fullness of life and we will experience that. And when we move off from that, when we go away from that, God says, I, I'm going to remove it. It's not even like you're, you've done something wrong, like you've built in the wrong area. I'm going to take it away, that rock. And that's really quite something to say in, the, in this, this scripture. And so like, I, I want to be really encouraging, but also we've got to be true to the word. And, and God's very clear on this, is that his love is foundational. I remember what, like, probably my, my worst mistake in youth ministry, I, mean, I did it for like 15 years before I came here, was um, one time I met with a young person and I had a discussion with them. And I knew I was right, but I certainly wasn't loving. I, I don't know why, it just uh, on that time and that particular, it's my biggest regret in that time. And, and they walked away from that conversation really angry with me and actually they just never came back. And I thought to myself, like, being right doesn't, it, you know, being right for the sake of an argument, it's not actually the thing. Loving someone is the thing. And I, and I, I only saw that in hindsight, actually, quite a while later. Um, and it's quite a painful lesson to learn, but that foundation of love is so crucial to even those little conversations we have to cheer each other along in our faith and our walk with Jesus. I hope none of the parents are worried about me being here now, but there you go. Um, Acts 19, Paul goes to Ephesus. Now, what I'm going to do is, it's quite long, and actually, it's one of the weird, like, I think this is one of the weirdest things in the Bible. Like, the second half of this passage, you'd be like, why is it even in the Bible? It doesn't even quote God or reference God in any way. But I'll tell you what happens in this story. So, Paul found some disciples on his way there who did not know the Holy Spirit. They had never been filled with the Holy Spirit. And he asked them about their baptism, what baptism did he have? And they said, John's. And he said, no, you need to be baptized into Jesus. So, come on, clicker. He baptized them into the name, into the Lord Jesus Christ filled with the Holy Spirit at that point. On he went. Then Paul went to a synagogue and he preached for three months and no one was converted. I, I mean, that is seriously poor like, from anyone's standards, I feel like. And, but very committed. It's very loving, isn't it, in that sense? Um, then Paul did some miracles. There's the old uh, handkerchief thing that we hear, you know, people praying for handkerchiefs and posting them out to people for healing and stuff. Actually, Paul, like, actually blessed some handkerchiefs and that's the kind of stuff that was going on. It's quite nuts, but cool. Um, then some Jews tried to do a miracle by Jesus' name and it didn't work. And in fact, the demon-possessed man beat them all up. Um, and then, because they said, who are you? I recognize Jesus, but who are you? Um, interesting little thing. And then because of that, people got afraid and were like, there's real power in this name, Jesus. And people came to faith, believe it or not. That's probably the first um, 
brimstone, fire and brimstone preach ever um, in that situation. But people came to faith because they recognized there was power in this name, Jesus. And then a riot kicked off. And a riot kicked off because people started coming to Jesus and they started burning these scrolls that were thousands and thousands of pounds. They stopped buying these artifacts from all the crooked uh, people that were sort of selling these um, goddess Artemis, like the little sculptures and stuff that are made in silver. They stopped buying those. So a riot kicked off. Um, and, you know, it's, it's getting a bit messy. Then a highly, this is really weird, a highly distinguished local official stood up in the assembly and he calmed them all down. And then I was expecting, like, God to do something cool here. And then he, he just calmed them all down and sent them off home because he's worried that the Romans may come and tell them off. Like, he was really scared that they were going to come in and really sort them out. Um, and that, that last part, I was like, surely God's going to do something in this. And I was like, well, why hasn't God done something in this? And as I was reading this through, I started to realize that when, when we, we speak in the word of God, it also has to be accompanied by the power of God. You see that Paul spoke for three and no one came to faith, but then as soon as the power of God was present in that place, people came to faith. And we cannot operate, I'm not saying Paul was just operating in word there, there's probably a context for that, but as people, one of the things, and you'll read this through scripture if you, when you take the time, and you'll find that unless we operate in both the word and the spirit, it, it does not have power. It does not have any momentum with it. That's so vital to our witness to people. But also, it's not written in the scriptures, but I'd imagine, and we've read about what the disciples were doing at those times, giving to those in need, loving those who need help. And you, you think that what happens here is that they've started to love people. And they're like, they see that this guy, Paul, was spoken for three months, but they're being loved the whole time. They're being loved by this community, loved by the Christians that are there. And then they come to faith. And because of that, it causes this chaos and this riot in this situation. And I think that God wanted to actually, and we'll, we'll come on to this a bit more, but God wants to say something about the fact that when we, when we start to love people truly, it can cause a bit of mess. It can cause it to become quite difficult. The power of love is that when we understand the love of God properly and we place that as our foundation, we can and, experience, uh, can and will experience the power of God's love in and around our lives. Not just in my life, but in the lives of those around us. God does not give us his love in a selfish way, so it's just for me. He gives it so we can give it, so we can share it, so we can bless others. Christ-like love is not the easy path. That's a bit controversial because I've said in one minute, this is where you find the fullness of life. And then the next minute I'm saying, it's not the easy path. But it's one of those things. It's like climbing a mountain. Like it's hard work getting up there, but then you get the view at the top. And in some sense, as we walk the hard, the narrow path with Jesus, the hard thing, we, we, we experience that fullness of life. But it's not necessarily easy option stuff. I mean, for Christ, greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for your friends. And so the last thing about when the power of love is when we walk this path, it disrupts the power of evil. We saw that with the traders in Ephesus. Like, and we, we need to be aware of that, that when you start to love people, it may come at a cost of your reputation. It may come at a cost of certain circumstances around you. But if God is calling to love people and to love people in, in, a, in a godly way, then it may mean people will say, well, what do you mean I can't continue to swindle people in this way or something like that? I'm not saying you're connected to the, the swindlers out there, but... We need to be aware that it calls us to that, that standard, that righteousness, and that, that level that means other people are going to say, no, I, I no longer want to be involved in our business. And I say, oh, why, not? why don't you want to be involved in our business anymore? Like, and so we need to be aware of that. It breaks through the darkness. So I, just, I wanted to share one story of like, um, 
one of my volunteers at my previous church, and I know it's very close here, so I'm going to try and say it because it's not too far away where I live. But basically what happened was um, she had a friend who was involved in a pretty bad environment um, in a certain establishment in um, said town over there. And, uh, and what had happened was that he had got involved in a very nasty group of people involving drugs, violence, all sorts of different things. And um, this had escalated over months and months and months and become very difficult. And it had come to like a head and very bad situation. And I remember she turned up one night after she'd driven through town and she'd driven past this place and as she was driving she said she just got overwhelmed with anger and just started screaming at God can you just sort this out can you 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 sort this place out get rid of it get rid of the dirt that's in it and the stuff that's causing all this mess and uh and I remember her coming a bit like pent up and and those sorts of things And, and we talked about it the next day, there was a sting operation, and it got shut down. Like, it was in, insane. I was like, this is just nuts. Like, this is the power of prayer. But when, when this all happened, when this all happened, I knew that it came from motivation of love in her. She didn't want to hurt people out there that were doing something bad. She knew of someone who was being hurt, and she wanted to help and love that person. And that's where the motivation came from. For us, when we, when we, when we love people in a, a deep and full way, not only through prayer, but in, in our relationships, we will see that change. We will see those things start to be broken down as God works. He restores the broken. Um, I, just personally, when I came to faith, I was, in a, um, I was actually in a small church in Alabama um, with a Messianic Jew singing this really odd song. And it was the first moment I met Jesus, and I, I remember it very clearly. Um, and uh, and I, I, up to that point, I had no interest in God, even though I came from a Christian family. I was very broken, even though my parents had given me a lovely home and cared for me, and I had good friends, all those things. I was still very, very broken. And I remember just sitting there for the first time ever. I was like, I, I know, and he loves me. And it transformed me. And there are areas in my life that I can say that God has done just the most amazing things and changed me. And, and you know, I'm not here to, to big myself up. I'm here to say that God can do the most immeasurable and amazing things with broken people if we set that foundation and love them. He brings unity in the church. And this is one that's a real tricky one. There, I think one day we're going we're gonna to be denomination and denominations. We're going to be side by side. And people, they won't be able to distinguish us because of the love that we have for one another. Yes, we will have differences. We will always have differences. That's part of what denominations is. But I do believe that actually God, God, this is one church. It says one church, one baptism, one faith. When we get in heaven, we're not going to be divided in corners. We're going to be worshipping Jesus together. And that is, that is what we've got to aim for is one church. And I know it's hard. I've got some amazing Catholic friends. And we have the most vicious of theological debates. And over accused of bad things but we that love has to be the center when it's all said and done i really believe and and the bible says this in uh, corinthians it says that um these three will remain faith love and hope but the greatest of these is love and in romans um god says this for i am convinced that neither demons nor life neither angels sorry For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the hope of us, 
that we are in Christ Jesus as our foundation and he brings a life and a fullness that nothing else can. I'll hand over to Judith. Thank you. Thank you, Adrian. There was a song many years ago. It was called Love is Not a Feeling. Thank you for listening. For further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.